from the pages of Wrestling Remembered comes Where Are They Now? Our own Jimmy Farrow. Even though Jimmy's missing in action from the show for the past couple months, his chair is just waiting for his return. Currently, Farrow is on break from the show and is soaking up the sun with his love in Florida. Ron Shaw. Last we saw Ron, he and Monty buried the hatchet on an episode of Monty and the Pharaoh. Since then, Ron was seen threatening to punch a director after not receiving a role on the senior edition of the Jersey Shore. Currently, he can be seen beating up drunks at his country club. John Cena Sr. John Cena Sr. quickly became a friend of the show during the Thursday Night Wars. Currently, Mr. Cena can be found making his world-famous hot sauce. Daniela Petro. Former co-host Daniela was terminated for breaking the code of conduct of Monty and the Pharaoh and has returned to a life of irrelevance and posting about Matt Riddle on X.com. That's all for this week. Make sure to check out Wrestling Remembered for your weekly dose of wrestling history. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, only seen here out of Indie Music Studios out of Ron Cockama, Long Island. At the board, as usual, Abe, how are you, buddy? Doing good, brother. How do you like that This Is Now, Where Are They Now, created by uh, ESO? That makes me laugh, bro. Cracks me up every time. (laughs) Every time I see it, it cracks me up. So, speaking of Where Are They Now, uh... I've been talking to Jimmy, and I think uh, good possibility Jimmy makes his return next week. Uh, we just got to f- iron out one last thing. Again, Jimmy's settled down in Florida. He's doing well. He's ready to go. Are you excited to have Jimmy back? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's definitely definitely well missed, you know, especially, you know, after, you know, what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. What happened Whatever is right. Well, we got our guest, which I'm very excited for, Mr. Keith Elliott Greenberg. Thank you, sir, for joining us today, my friend. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You have finally arrived, my friend. You have finally arrived. So we're going to hit a few news items, go to break, and then we want to talk to you about your life in wrestling. But let's talk about a serious news item. Hamas plot to attack Jews across Europe is foiled by police. A Hamas plot to kill Jews in Europe has been foiled by German and Danish police who have uncovered the terror group's alarming change and tactics. Three people were arrested in Germany, three in Denmark, and one in the Netherlands with the Danish prime minister described the plot as being serious as it gets. Hamas operatives were under orders to bring a cache of weapons from undisclosed locations into Europe to Berlin to attack Jewish institutions German prosecutors say. So, Keith, I'm 
sure with your religious beliefs um what's I, going on in the world religion, well well i'm i'm a, i was raised jewish um okay. i don't i don't follow the jewish religion and um i probably since i i came on here to speak about wrestling should uh kind of keep the topic closer to wrestling i hear you i hear you there are a lot of subtleties and nuances in this conversation and it's not really what I um, mentally researched before I came on the air. Well, can I ask you not about this particular subject, but just the state of the world? Uh, we're close to the same age. Um, do you feel things are slipping a bit and we need to recover as a society and whole? Um, you know, I always remember there being a lot of chaos in the world. I mean, I grew up during the time of the Vietnam War and I lived through Watergate. And, you know, uh, obviously the last few years, uh, presidential politics have been extremely polarized and it it's divided families. And, uh, you know, that's a shame because I think people lost sight of good qualities that their loved ones had, uh, putting their political differences in front of everything. Um, I don't know if it was ever more orderly, you know, I, you know, sometimes people romanticize what the world was like when they were younger. And I remember a lot of turmoil when I was younger as well. Obviously, mm -hmm. we all want the world. Wouldn't the world be a perfect place if everyone, if the biggest dispute that people were battling over was AEW or WWE? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Very good, Keith. Very good. <laughs> The one thing I will say, though, I understand, obviously, uh, the polarization of the last couple of presidential races. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I could say on a good thing, more people are involved now in the politics in the country where I think maybe people maybe not have paid so much attention to it. Yeah, um, that may be so. I'm hoping that people are not just cynic made cynical by it and they just divorce themselves from the process. I mean, you know, we're a democracy and it's important for everybody to be involved and contribute what they feel they should. Now, do you think with social media today, you brought up AEWWE, um, do you think that today's society just wants to fight over things though? It's it's become more easy with social media. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, like uh, you know, I was just watching the where are they now segment, which was very funny. And Thank you, you know, it, it, you know, it's very clever. And um, you, you, know, you guys, that that's well written. It's well thought out, and it deserves to be on this forum. Um, in this age of social media, all you need is an account, and you can go on these rants, and it gives you a certain amount of power. You know, when I was in around eighth grade. These kids I knew bought this transmitter where they could get on the radio. I mean, they would only be on, like, they would be all the way at the end of the dial. And the broadcast would only go about three or four blocks. But we felt we had this power because we could go on the radio, even though no one was listening, and rant about things. Now everybody has that power. And sometimes it definitely, look, sometimes 
valuable ideas are exchanged. And sometimes um, a lot of nonsense gets thrown out there. And a lot of times people just want to be part of something, so they argue. And I don't know if it's always productive. Most of the time it doesn't seem like it is, although I don't want to dismiss the times when you might learn something from social media. And I, I do learn things from social media. Well said again. Let me ask you this, being an expert, and you're an expert in so many fields, man, like we were talking a little before the show, how thick your resume is with so many things. Um, does it, I'm not going to say bother, but like a guy like me, right, or my partner, Jimmy, just fans of wrestling that were able to like start a podcast or a television broadcast and then become popular but really not be in the industry. Does that kind of like, because at some point, you were in this wrestling world or it was that microcosm of just you guys and you guys were just part of it. Does it bother you that fans like us can now start to infiltrate the industry? No, I, I think it's great, actually. Um, and realize I was one of those guys. I was not a wrestler. I was not an athlete. Um, I was a wrestling fan. And I used the one thing I could do, which was right, to worm my way in there and i wasn't really embraced at first because i was an outsider and so you know it's a big community and i've said i've said this many times on other interviews professional wrestling is the one community where if you love it it finds a way to love you back maybe you become a podcaster maybe you sell merch maybe you work on the ring crew, uh, you know, but somehow you can find a place for yourself here. And I generally find that, and you know this because you have, uh, you know, a lot of names come on this show, uh, you know, when you're contributing something, regardless of how big or small that is, many people from the industry appreciate it. All right, I'm going to give you another news item, much lighter though. Need you to weigh on this one. Thank you. $2 million winning lottery tickets spent four months in oblivious winner's truck. Every so often, I will stop, this is the person speaking, stop by an instant ticket after work, the player said about four months ago. I bought this money ticket but did not see any winnings on it when I scratched it. So I threw it in the center console with some other non-winning tickets. The man said the ticket remained in his truck for four months. About a week ago, his wife gave him a few tickets to take to the store and check, so I grabbed the tickets in my center console to double-check. When I scanned the money ticket, I got a message to file the claim in the lottery office, the player recalled. The man said the message spurred him to give a ticket another look. He went back to his truck to look at the ticket and realized it was number 13 and then revealed a $2 million sign. What do you think of that? Um, pretty cool. I mean, I, I don't know how much, you know, usually like there's, there's a, a bodega around here in Brooklyn uh, where I live. And I see these people just lined up playing, you know, lottery tickets, you know, playing lotto every day. And you know, I talk to the, the two Palestinian guys who own the bodega and they say, oh, these people, you know, they might win. $600, but the last two months they've spent $900 to, you know, so they're yeah. still at a loss of, you know, $200. I guess it's pretty hard to blow $2 million on lottery tickets. 
So I guess this guy actually managed to turn a profit, which makes him the exception rather than the rule. So good for him. Yeah, good. So you, you mentioned vices. What is Keith Elliott Greenberg's vice? Watching wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that's a vice, all right. <laughs> you know, uh, talk to anyone I've ever been in a, a romantic relationship with, and they will certainly all concur that um, wrestling at times interfered with my attention to other things. Wow. So like you're on a date or something like that, and then wrestling came on, you're like, look, honey, I got to uh, drop know, you off. Now, now that you br bring that up, I remember I was at um, WrestleMania 34, and I went on one of those dating sites, and um, I met this woman for drinks, like in the afternoon. And then the Hall of Fame was that night. And it was, oh, I'll meet you after the Hall of Fame. And, you know, so now we're, we're supposed to have a date. And I remember the Hall of Fame was going on much longer than I expected it to. So at a certain stage, she's texting me and I cut out of the Hall of Fame because I didn't want to just blow off the date. And I go to this bar and she's running late but I'm watching the Hall of Fame on my phone. And Jeff Jarrett was being inducted. And I was really into it. And then suddenly, I feel, you know, a hand tap me on the back. And it's this woman who's all dolled up and she looks great, sitting behind me. And my first thought was like, shit, now I'm going to miss Jeff Jarrett's induction. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, if I may add, my first marriage, uh, my wife wanted to get married on, I believe, WrestleMania six, Hogan Warrior. And then we had our honeymoon. I was in the military at the time. I said, look, we should just put it on another date, right? Because, you know, we went justice of the peace, whatever it was. Right. But she had to get married that day. And I said, understand, when this wedding ends, I'm going to hang out to watch WrestleMania six, <laughs> And I did. But I got to tell you, the more and more I think about it, probably not the right thing to do. Probably not the right thing to do, although it may have been the perfect honeymoon night, perfect wedding night activity in terms of the long-term pleasure you derived from it. Yeah, but you see, I didn't get it because I was a Hogan fan, so I came out of that miserable. So it was, yeah, so, it was so a bad night. Was like, yeah, and then that set the tone for the rest of your marriage. <laughs> exactly. That's why we're divorced. There you go. Keith, right. well done. So your marriage would be symbolized by the ultimate warrior winning the championship. There you go, man. You hit it right on the head. Listen, before we go to break, reading over your resume, this was incredible, right? I love Roadhouse, the movie, and I've always been a huge Jeff Healy band fan, just huge. But me personally, as a music fan, which I am, I always felt like Jeff Healy never got a lot of love, right? And I was amazed that you were involved in, you know, co-authoring the book um, about the Jeff Healy drummer. band, right? Yes, I wrote it with his drummer, who became a very good friend of mine. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, you're not going to believe this. Um, he passed away this year, and he passed away, um, I believe... You know, he, Lanny Poffo passed away first and, and on this guy's birthday. And then Tom Steven passed away like a week later. 
And it was like Lanny Poffo and I were good friends. And then superstar Billy Graham passed away. Then the Iron Sheik passed away. So, you know, I've lost all these people I was quite close to this year. And I guess now when I hear about the Jeff Healy band, it was always informed by Jeff Healy's untimely passing. Now it's mixed in with my feelings about Tom Stevens' un untimely passing as well. I got it. Well, but you're right. You're, you're right. Jeff Healy did not get the love he deserved. I mean, he he was one of the great, you know, blues rockers. And um, people, they may have seen Roadhouse. They may have heard a song or two. But in terms of raw talent, I don't think, especially in the United States, in Canada, he's far better known. But in the U.S., he should be, you know, one of the icons. And I, I don't think they ever got that far. I totally agree. And again, huge fan of his. And I, I'm going to buy that book now because I'm just, I was just amazed. Um, what made you get into writing about that book, though? Because it not saying it's odd, Keith. I'm just saying it's it's not quite mainstream. So what no, made no, you decide? It, it, was, it was circumstance. Um I had done a book in 2010 about the death of John Lennon. And um, Tom Steven, the drummer from the Jeff Healy band, had read that book. And he asked around, and it turns out we had, like, you know, three, three degrees of separation we were removed from each other. So a friend of mine who was a friend of an associate of his you know, they, they communicated somehow. And he and I ended up meeting up in New York. And then, you know, we discussed, I was nervous because I was afraid the book wouldn't get published. And I don't take money from people if I can't guarantee them that their product will be published. But we worked something out and the book did end up being published. And, um, it's, it's not just a story about the Jeff Healy band. I feel it's a story about every band. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit like any entertainment form, including the wrestling business. You know, Tom said when they weren't making money and when they were just struggling, they were brothers. And then fame hit and money came in and new people came into their lives and people were pulling them in different directions and the brotherhood just evaporated. And I guess that's the story of rock and roll. Amazing. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. Speaking of bands, I'd like to thank the band that sings a theme song for Monty Nefaro and Jimmy Farrell, along with his partner, Bart Griggs, make up the band Wisteria Hall. Wisteria Hall sings such great songs as In My Dreams, This Life, Not Far Behind, Here Comes the Rain. You can find their music on the Wisteria Hall YouTube page. Please go to the YouTube page, hit like and subscribe, download their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Reverb Nation, or where all audio can be heard. If you didn't know it, you are watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro. Catch us on the Monty Nefaro YouTube page, the Monty Nefaro Facebook Live page. Hear us on iHeartRadio, 
Spotify, Anchor. Catch us on the Monty and the Faro Twitch TV page. We're also on New York Cable three times a week. We're over 150,000 viewers watch us weekly on Channel 115 every Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. and Saturday at 11.30 a.m. and Channel 20 at Tuesday at 7 p.m. I would like to welcome aboard one of our new sponsors, the Gym Administrator, service the way you remember it. Um, they've assembled a powerful team of fitness industry professionals covering a wide variety of industry-related products and services, all under one roof to create a one-stop resource for your club operators to source proven to be reliable fitness industry suppliers and vendors, a place of heavy emphasis on service. So we want to welcome them aboard on Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Also... If you don't know it, we're also on a network called Intuitive, right? That's the Intuitive Network. That's I-N-2-I-T-I-V-E Network. They're a MIDI Netflix, really gaining a lot of momentum. They've got great movies, documentaries, comedy specials, videos, and they are headed by Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast as their mainstay. We'll be right back after this commercial break with the great, can I say, iconic Keith Elliott Greenberg. We'll be right back after this message. Sir? Ah. Manscaped? Uh huh. Uh, you know, have you tried the new equipment that's been sent? I'm afraid because it says Weed Whacker. I'm scared. Maven, Manscaped, what are you thinking about Love Manscaped, it. dude? Love it. What do you use it for? Necessity. What don't I use it for? Put it this way. <laughs> the only hair I have on my entire body is these eyebrows yeah. that oh. you see. These wow. caterpillars racing to the middle of my nose. That's it. That is it. That's all, that's all I have. And that's all I want. That's the so pit. Manscaped there, is you, a must. We were talking before the show. There's nothing worse than just hair. Yeah. Right? Hair on a woman, hair on a man, it's just bad. Absolutely. And it's the one thing that the older I get, it starts growing more in unwanted areas. Absolutely. I hate it. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh-oh. Just going to go out there. Oh, boy. Go for it. You're doing a deed. Yes. <laughs> Again, I don't want you to have to admit this because we, as men, we try not to admit this. But if you're going to uh, go do I the deed it. on a woman, I know would you rather have her be Hairless or a little hair, racing stripe or <laughs> racing stripe. full retro bush. <laughs> racing well, stripe. Retro bush is out. Yes, thank you. Retro bush is out. Yeah. Um, I don't mind a small, well manicured landing strip. <laughs> Every now and then, if it's completely, and I'm talking like baby's ass bald, mm. then I I start. Where is that pedophilia line? That I'm, that I'm, I don't, I don't wow. want to wander into that. Oh, that's very interesting. Like that. I never thought about wow. that. You're a smart dude. Holy yeah. shit. So if the landing strip is clean enough for the plane to go in smoothly, you're cool with that. If the landing strip is, has, like I said, well manicured, yeah. you yeah. can see both sides. It's not like blinking lights on both I, sides of that. Landing? I just don't, I don't want, <laughs> you know, I don't want the shrubbery going off into yeah. unwanted areas on that. Gotcha. As well. yeah, oh, look but, what you found. Ooh. I got to be all honest gotcha. though. Hey, the, ah. <laughs> the older I get, though, I don't. I think I don't think I can be as. Uh, I as, found it. Have, I found have it. Have you ever gone down there and like just like you, she slowly brings down the underwear? Then what is? 
Retro. Just Absolutely. Retro? You're like, whoa. Wow. Like yeah, a 46. Like it pops out? Do you like walk out or what do you do? No, I, try, I muster through. I muster up the <laughs> current. He's a through. trooper. Yeah. He's a trooper. <laughs> Got to give him an yeah, not all, not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, I, there you no, go. I hear you. I, <laughs> listen, I couldn't, I, couldn't say, I couldn't say it. Well, <laughs> if you have the same beliefs as Maven does, Manscaped could help you. Absolutely. The weed whacker. Absolutely. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I may have to, like, you know, go in a room, close the door, and hang out with the weed whacker for a little while. Yeah, I think you're a retro guy, aren't you? I like 70s adult films, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but with that, Ron we're going to take a quick Batman. commercial break, and we'll be back with this wrestling icon, Maven. We will see you in a dropkick second. A uh, dropkick. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, where we have the icon, Keith Elliott Greenberg. Sir, thank you for joining the show and taking your time out of your busy life. And that was quite an amusing uh, little commercial <laughs> that you had on. Yeah, we have lots of fun on this show. I told you, it's uh, it's the lighter sides of thing. You know what I'm saying? But let me tell you, yeah, let me tell you. Made, it made me think, like. You know, I've always liked Maven personally, and I, I probably saw him about two years ago um, at, at, at an indie event. And, uh, you know, look at that personality that he showed on your show. Imagine if he was allowed to showcase that when he had that wide spotlight. He may still be around today. I'm of the belief, Keith, that... AEW at the minimum should bring him on as an announcer. He would be incredible. In fact, I got to tell you from, and again, I'm not trying to brag, but from his appearance on the show, he started a YouTube channel and now people are starting to realize what a talent he truly is. Right. I mean, and he's, he's so entertaining. I mean, I always knew cause I used to chat with him when he was in WWE that he was extremely intelligent, but that sense of humor, that's the first time I've ever really seen it on display like that. I got to tell you, the entire interview, hilarious, straight shooter, and really a great guy. And I think, I think now people are starting to realize it. So, again, if I was running a wrestling organization, I would certainly put him behind the announcer booth. I, thought he, I would think he would be pretty good at it. Yeah. yeah. But let's talk about you, right? If anyone you. with a resume like yours... Well, first, let's. Will you write a book about your life? I don't know. I mean, it's so much more fun writing about other people's lives. And you know, my last couple of books certainly, I, um, I there was a lot in the first person in those books because I did one book that came out in twenty twenty on the indie wrestling revolution. It was called. It's called Too Sweet inside the indie wrestling revolution and you know a lot of that is written from my perspective as i went from uh one indie wrestling show to another i have another one that came out in 2022 called um follow the buzzards pro wrestling in the age of covid 19. and again th uh, that is also largely based on my experiences um what i experienced as a wrestling fan during covid and what it was like to go to these socially distanced outdoor indie shows during COVID. And what it was like to just watch wrestling during COVID. So there's a lot of me in there. I also write, I have a monthly column in Inside the Ropes magazine, which is UK based. But now because of pro wrestling tees, you can purchase copies through their website and actually get 
very up-to-date issues. And it's an old-school newsstand wrestling magazine with uh, a very modern, forward-thinking uh, sensibility. And, you know, I, I write a lot in the first person there. So I feel people have a sense of who I am. And I don't need to go back and say, hey, did I ever tell you about the time I met Blackjack Mulligan? Although I will tell a story now. Um, I, you know, you mentioned at the top of the show, you mentioned my Jewish ancestry. And when I was a kid, I was in Hebrew school in, at the Clearview Jewish Center in Queens. And Pedro Morales was going to have his first title defense against Blackjack Mulligan that night at Madison Square Garden after he'd won the title from Ivan Koloff. And the kids in the class were talking about it. And we were very excited about it. And the, the, the rabbi wasn't really paying attention to us. And then suddenly he's like, what's going on here? And this one kid in the front goes, well, who do you think is gonna to win tonight? Pedro Morales or Blackjack Mulligan? And the rabbi paused smacked the kid in, his, in the head and went mulligan schmulligan. And I will say in my life, I have had the opportunity to tell that story to both Pedro Morales and Blackjack Mulligan. It's <laughs> a pretty good story. When you wake up in the morning, right? Here you are, Keith Elliott Greenberg, you wake up. Do you pinch yourself and go, boy, am I blessed? Oh, I don't know if I do that. And because like everybody else, I wake up to responsibilities and issues and what have you. Um, but I don't take things for granted. It is a blessing to be part of the community that we're in, to be part of this wrestling community, to, you know, for you to have people like Maven on your show so loose that they can just show their, their true selves around you, you know, and for me to go, you know, be in the press box at WrestleMania or for me to, you know, be, you know, in the media scrum after an AEW show or for, for me to hang out backstage at um, a GCW show, you know, as an honored guest, that is a blessing. And I, I, I do take it seriously. I don't assume it's due me. I do feel it's the result of a lot of um, hard work and, and more goodwill. And uh, I am grateful for that. So let's, let's talk about the forming of yourself as a child. Can you tell me a little bit about your mom and dad and growing up uh, and, and your mom and dad, what, what, they, what they meant to you? Well, my mother and father, again, I did not come from an educated family. But uh, my mother was a wrestling fan, and my father's parents were wrestling fans. So uh, that certainly had an influence on me. Um, you know, it was a different era. I grew up, I was born in 1959. I grew up in the 1960s in, uh, in New York City. Um, and, you know, in those days, you know, men would smack their kids around if they didn't like how they were behaving. Yeah, you know, my friend Groove, he didn't have a father. And if his mother wanted to hit him, they'd be in a store and she would just shout to a random man in the store, grab my kid and drag him over here. I want to, I want to smack him. So, um, you know, that was how I grew up. Uh, some people think it was better back then. 
that kids had discipline and order. I remember there being a lot of chaos and disorder. So I don't think, you know, smacking around your kids necessarily instilled discipline in them. Uh, you know, my parents were decent people. I think they meant well. They were always on my side. And even when I became a writer when I was young, they, you know, I came from a family where no one was a writer or no one was an artist. No one made money through the arts. But my parents never told me I couldn't do it. They kind of felt, all right, we think you, we think you might know what you're doing here. And so I am, you know, I, I'm grateful for that, too. When did you decide to become a writer? Like, how, how does that happen? You know, I wanted to become a cartoonist when I was a kid. And um, I took some art classes and I didn't really have the discipline. I could, you know, I could draw, I could entertain my friends, but I didn't really have the discipline to draw things to scale. And writing came a lot easier to me. And, you know, I didn't even take the writing that seriously. And then at a certain point, I had a talk with my father. And he said, well, you're not going to be, you're not going to be an artist. You're not good. He goes, I'm a better artist than you. And he goes, and you're not going to be a businessman because, you know, you, you're not a financial guy. And, you know, you're probably not going to take the civil service test. Uh, so I'd say you should probably just become a writer because you could probably do that. And it was practical advice. Wow. What I find amazing, it's, it, and it does seem to go hand in hand, wrestling and music. It seems like if you're a fan of one, you're a fan of the other. Again, uh, being a fan of music is wide open, but it just seems they go together. There's a lot of alternative sensibilities that go together. My oldest kid, Dylan Mars Greenberg, who is um, a, a filmmaker, is associated with trauma. Do you know trauma entertainment? I do Trauma not. films? I do not. But you know, they do a lot of horror comedy. And when I go to trauma events, a, a, a large proportion of those people are also wrestling fans. Mm. And that doesn't shock me that people are who are going to see, you know, slasher films and horror comedy films and, you know, um, you know, thrash metal would also enjoy wrestling. And for that matter, hip-hop as well. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. What was the first band or the first song that you heard that turned you on to loving music? Well, I was um, close to five years old when the Beatles came to America. So a lot of... I, look, I'm sure there was music I liked before then, you know, but um, and I had older cousins... But I think it was seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, as corny as that sounds, that really did have a major impact on my life and, and on the lives of everybody I knew. And, um, you know, and then I was fascinated by the British invasion because, you know, every week it seemed there was a new band that would be on one of these shows like Hullabaloo, you know, or Shindig. And so, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones came by and the, you know, the, uh, the Who w uh, came to America. And so, um, you know, that was pretty easy music to uh, be become a fan of at that age. I asked my partner, Jimmy, who was also a, a fantastic musician, 
hypothetical world, if he had to choose between wrestling and music, which one would he go? So I ask you, Mr. Greenberg, if you it had would be the, wrestling, wrestling, it would be wrestling. It would still be I wrestling. Mean, it'd still be wrestling, even though I love music. Um, yeah, I mean, look, and I've also made a living from wrestling. I've I've written so many wrestling books. I'm writing another wrestling book. I write for a wrestling magazine. You know, I would be lost without having wrestling in my life. But I'm not lost. I'm whole because of wrestling in my life. So you mentioned the Beatles. You wrote a book uh, the day John Lennon died. What yes. made you write that book? Well, now that's okay. Again, my friend Mike Edison was the editor of Backbeat Books. And Mike Edison is an author who has also written about wrestling, by the way. Um, but uh, he was the editor of Backbeat Books. He discussed it with me. And um, I was 21 when John Lennon was killed. And I remember what I felt and I remember what the city was feeling. And so I wrote it from a very New York centric point of view. Um, what was going on in John Lennon's life? What was going on in the city at that time? And how all these people were impacted? And so I interviewed Ed Koch, who was the mayor at the time. I interviewed, you know, the first police officers on the scene. I interviewed the surgeon when John Lennon was in the emergency room. And I interviewed just regular fans who spontaneously converged on John Lennon's uh, building, the Dakota. I mean, there was no social media saying, we're all going to the Dakota. They, they just knew to go down there, they felt it. And so it was like, you know, they were pulled there by a magnetic force. And, uh, you know, it's quite a window into a very unique time. And it was, you know, John Lennon was also, even though he was from Liverpool, he lived in New York and embraced New York. So there was this feeling of loss because he had become a New Yorker. Many people moved to New York and they never become New Yorkers. He had, and then someone came from the outside and took him away. Do you remember the day he died? Where were you the day he died? I was at my friend um, Dave Becker's apartment um, he, he's since passed away too, uh, which happens as you age, a lot of people pass away. Right. Um, and, um, I was talking about something else with another friend there and Steve Yagoda is his name. And, um, suddenly we always had the news on at like 11 o'clock. We would just put the news on if we happened to, you know, we were young guys. So we were like going out at like 11 even though it was a weeknight. And, um, you know, we put the news on and they announced that John Lennon had died. And, uh, well, no, he'd been shot. They didn't say he died. Obviously, um, you know, we stopped what we were talking about. And at first, I remember all three of us thought that it must have been like a, Maybe a bullet grazed him. Maybe some nut fired a gun and they didn't get that, didn't get that close to him. And very quickly, it became apparent that it was very serious. And I don't remember when it was, but I remember the announcement that not, not only was he shot, but he had died as well. And, you know, there was a wrestling show that night at Madison Square Garden. I mean, it was earlier in the night. But, um, 
you know, people tell stories about walking home or walking, you know, out of Madison Square Garden and hearing a buzz going on in Manhattan about uh, John Lennon possibly being shot. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, give me chills right now. You're bringing me back to when that day yeah. happened, uh, you know, it, 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 as a Beatle fan myself, it, it, it shook my world for quite a while. How, um, how old were you at the time? I got to be like my early teens, I think. And I had pretty much just discovered the Beatles and really became a uh, big Lennon fan. And mm. I could remember I was in my room and I think it was Howard Cosell on Monday. Was it Monday Night Football, I think, yes, right? Yes, Monday Night Football. Yeah, yes. he announced that John Lennon had passed. And I could hear it from my parents because my father was watching football in his bedroom. And I could hear it. And I was like, I was in shock. Um, clearly, I wasn't that as involved with the Beatles because I was like new to it. But it definitely shocked my world. I know my partner, Jimmy, you know, it shocked his world. But, you know, we're, we've grown up on Long Island. You're, you're an actual true New Yorker. So I could imagine it being a lot worse, right? Well, because we felt, and look, I was from Queens, but, um, you know, it was still the five boroughs. And we certainly, I certainly felt that, um, that, that he was part of the fabric of the city, uh, my city. And so I do think there was that kind of personal tie to it. And like I told you, that was the first, you know, that was the first, time I really fell in love with music was when I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. The first movie I ever asked my mother to take me to was A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. So there was already, there were already, you know, it was already very personal. Wow. Let's push it to wrestling a little bit. What wrestler, what match turned Mr. Greenberg onto wrestling? Well, you know, Wrestling had always been on, but I do remember an angle. Um, and I, maybe I was in seventh grade by this point. Yeah, I'd seen wrestling because my grandparents watched wrestling. And I believe I had been to wrestling. I believe I had an uncle who was working as a baker in Connecticut. And I'm almost certain we went to a show where the Sheik appeared in the mid sixties. But um, I remember watching on Spanish television, uh, we, got te we received wrestling from the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles in Spanish. And it was an angle where Freddie Blassie was attacked and bloodied up by the great Goliath. And it, I should have known better because I was old enough to start figuring out that, you know, it was predetermined. But in my mind, it felt so emotional and so real that I just felt I could never miss a week of this again. Wow. You're a great writer, obviously, and you know so much about wrestling. Was there ever a point where any federation came up to you and said, hey, we'd like you to write our scripts for us? Or was there no, ever I never talks? wanted to do that. I mean, look, I wrote for the WWE magazines for 22 years and was very happy to do so. I've co-written two versions of the WWE Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. 
So I've done business with you know several federations, but I never wanted to be on that side. And one of the reasons, A, I don't think I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm a nonfiction writer. I'm not a fiction writer. Um, the other thing is I remember like being in a car with some of the wrestlers and then really being disgusted with some of the show writers who were coming up with their storylines for them and saying, oh, look at this, I'm being buried again. Or, yeah, I thought I was going to get a push, but I don't know. This guy, he always wants to make me look like a fool. And I never wanted to be that guy. Hmm. So I'll ask you, like, so obviously Vince Russo, who did great in the Attitude Era, he, he was a writer who eventually became scriptwriter. What were your thoughts at that time about his script writing? Did you enjoy it or were you not so well, happy okay. with it? Uh, Vince Russo, I consider a, a good friend. Um, and that has nothing to do with wrestling. I always say that. Um, you know, I wasn't thrilled with everything Vince Russo came up with as a fan, as a human being. You know, if Vince Russo called me now and he was in a jam, I would, I would go and I would run down there. Um, he is a good guy. Um, always was a good guy to me, and I believe he is a good guy in his heart. Um, I was excited for him when he made that jump from just being a writer and to, to having a more involved role backstage. I would not have put me in, myself in that position because I always feared that if you make yourself that visible, you'll make more enemies. Russo didn't seem to care about that. So I was happy for him uh, that he was playing a larger role. But then sometimes I would see some of the, especially when he was in WCW, I would see some of the things he came up with. And, you know, maybe I felt a little uneasy for him, especially when, when, when uh, his, his ideas didn't work the way he thought they would. Today's wrestling, um, obviously you and me, well, I'll say I'm more of an old school guy, right? I grew up on it. I, you know, Again, not that I don't enjoy today's wrestling. In fact, uh, Roman Reigns, I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of what they're doing with him. Would you, as a fan, put Roman Reigns at least approaching the, the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestlers? What are your thoughts on Roman Reigns? I mean, look, certainly Roman Reigns has carried the last few years of of wrestling since he became a heel really because you know i remember i don't even remember who said this but i remember hearing you know roman reigns is the coolest guy you'd ever want to meet but you wouldn't know it when he's playing this like clean cut baby face role on tv and then you know he came back after uh he took time off because of COVID and they did that storyline where uh, he beats up on his cousin and then he was, you know, a vicious guy and he was a dangerous guy and he was a believable guy, but he was also in his own villainous way, a very cool guy. So his period in the sun, I would say, it's limited. It's just, I mean, even though he was pushed, 
I feel his heyday has been just the, the, the past few years. I think he, had he been allowed to be himself, had he come up in an era where maybe um, show writers were not always giving him things to say, uh, I think we would have been seeing that side of him for far longer. I would say in terms of the respect he enjoys from both old timers and young people, I, I would say it's fairly universal and I'm sure you've heard the same thing. Absolutely. Here's one thing that bothers me. I grew so I was introduced to wrestling during the Bob Backlund, right? I'm a WWE guy, Northeast, obviously. How do you feel about the WWE kind of trying to wipe out Backlund's history in order to reigns to chase Hulk Hogan as number two? Well, um, are they wiping out his history? I guess they're not acknowledging him a lot. Well, they kind of they kind of have Hogan as being the next guy up. They kind of push back. Yeah, out I, of that I, I, know, I know what you're saying. Um, how much have they really played up Bruno either? I mean, when you think about it, Bruno won the title in '63 and lost it the first time in '71. So no one can even go near that. I do find there's a dividing line, and this—I mean, I've known this for 20 years. When I started writing these books for WWE. The books that predated the Hogan era just didn't sell. You know, the people at Simon & Schuster told me that. It's almost as if that was some other kind of wrestling. And Hulk Hogan is the beginning of wrestling history. Um, and I guess that's, if you look at the market value of, you know, of how pro wrestling is perceived. Um, you know, I think Backlund was a great athlete and I think that he should always be acknowledged. I was very hardened, I think in 2013, when him and Bruno were finally inducted into the Hall of Fame, it was long overdue. Um, I don't think WWE, I don't feel like they're trying to bury Backlund. I think they're really just trying to elevate Reigns and the importance of Reigns as champion because it is very rare in this era, in this modern era, for somebody to hold a championship that long. But are you okay with that kind of liberty they're taking? Like, I don't want to say uh, erasing history. I mean, look, I don't say they're erasing history, but look, there's always, yes, there always has been a bit of liberty taken. I just was writing about this. I'm working on my next book now, which is about how WrestleMania three transformed the industry. It's for the same publisher, ECW Press. And I'm writing about Harley Race. And I remember I was working for the WWF magazine at the time when Harley Race came in. And we couldn't say that he was a an eight-time NWA champion because we weren't allowed to acknowledge the NWA. <clears throat> I was allowed to write that he's been a champion all over the world. Um, and they gave him a crown. They called him the king. So maybe they were acknowledging his importance. But it was a little frustrating because he's one of the greats. And I wish I could have blatantly said he is one of the great champions of all time.
Speaking of WrestleMania three, you just brought up. Would you consider Hogan Andre the greatest match of all time, or maybe the most important match of all time? Well, the greatest, of course, it's not going to be important. I would say, especially since I'm writing a book about why WrestleMania three is so important, how it transformed the industry. Um, it is a symbol of when the perception of wrestling truly changed. Uh, people were completely invested in that match, so much so that they sold out a football stadium. And let's not, you know, let, let, like, let's look at what wrestling was like before 1987. The notion of professional wrestling selling out an NFL stadium was kind of unthinkable. And if you were a sponsor, you know, if you were a licensee, um, if you were in the business world, you know, if you were in advertising, like wrestling was considered low grade entertainment. It was considered almost a throwaway diversion. And this proved the Hogan versus Andre, you know, people who were not wrestling fans were caught up in the anticipation of that. And you know, now I go to WrestleMania and people fly in from all over the world. And it's not just WWE. It's a week of wrestling related activities of all sorts. There's wrestling comedy shows. There's wrestling documentaries. There's indie promotions from, you know, Tokyo Yoshi, the women's wrestling promotion from Japan was in um, Los Angeles last year, WrestleMania, you know, progress from you know, the, the, the uh, United Kingdom, uh, it puts on a show, WrestleMania week. Um, you know, WXW from Germany. You know, I went to one of their shows a few years ago in New York, WrestleMania week. Um, all of that, that, that happens now because of WrestleMania three. And so you sure it was the WWE or WWF marketing machine, but I think Hogan versus Andre in terms of importance, you know, those two guys are the ones who drew everybody to the to that particular party. You mentioned the Iron Sheik's passing this year. Um, I know you wrote a book about him. Yes. Why did that not get published? Well, I have a theory about it. And I Theories think work that, well on this show, man. It's all good. Um, you know, I was asked... I actually was paid twice for that book. I wrote it. The, at the time, the Iron Sheik still had addiction issues. And um, WWE felt, how are we going to put this guy on the road to promote a book when he hasn't gotten his life in order? Um, and then he kicked drugs. I wrote an article for Playboy magazine about him, and I mentioned that he had... Uh, you know, that drugs were no longer part of his life and he reconciled with his wife. And so then WWE said, okay, now ECW Press wants to do the book. So, you know, you rewrite it, you're, you're doing another version of the book. And then I think it was one of their lawyers called me and said, well, is there any way to sanitize this? It's like, not really. I mean, he's the Iron Sheik. These are his stories. And, you know, they're not... They're not pretty stories. Um, 
They might be funny stories. Some people might think they're tragic stories, but this is his life. And I think at the time, uh, there was the belief that, you know, WWE would say we put smiles on people's faces, that maybe this book was going to put the wrong kinds of smiles on people's faces. Hmm. Well done. I still believe, though, that one day that book will see the light of day. And it may be, you know, it may be when um, Triple H's daughter is running the company. Um, <laughs> but you and me be long time yeah. gone by that. Forget it. We'll be it gone. Be, we'll never even be, know. We'll never even know. But I, I, because I was in the Iron Sheik documentary that appeared on A&E. And, um, you know, they... Um, Someone from WWE had a copy of the manuscript and gave it to the producer. So they said, here, read this. This will help, you know, this will help you understand the, the real story of the Iron Sheik. So, wow. you know, they weren't hiding it anymore. And they had me talk about a lot of those stories that they felt were, you know, too, uh, too raw to expose to the public. So who well, knows? You know, but at least... Yeah, it's changing yeah. now. So who knows? Maybe in a week or so, right. maybe they'll change their mind. Hopefully, because right. from what I understand, it's an incredible book. Yeah, All right, yeah, so it, it, Keith, yeah. I want you to appease me a little bit. I want to have a little fun with you, right? Obviously, okay. you're a wrestling genius. You know your resume. Right. And again, incredibly honored to have you on the show. We put together something called Grilling Greenberg, where I'm going to ask you 10 questions. You're going to mm -hmm. answer it. Right or wrong, and we'll see how well you do, okay? I usually do very badly at these. Well, we'll see. I don't I honestly don't think you'll do that poorly at it, but let's see. You ready for question one? Yeah. Grilling Greenberg. Who was Fred Blassie's first intercontinental champion as a manager? Okay. Did he have Pat Patterson? Take your time. Hold on. Uh, no, that was would have been the wizard with Pat Patterson. Um, well, that's a good one. Um, he, yeah, DiBiase was a baby face then. Um, Spiros. I don't know. I don't know. All right, what's the answer, Abe? That would be <clears throat> no one. Fred Blassie never managed an intercontinental champion. Then think of it. <laughs> a little tricky. All right. A trick question, yeah. So I was right, actually. You were actually right. You want to change that to a ding? A, yeah. Ah, producer gives you a bit. Look good. at that. One for one. Question two. Who holds the record for the longest single WWE championship reign? Uh, Bruno. Producer? Yeah, Bruce. There you go. Keith, you're killing it. You're two for two right now. All right, gets a little tougher. Yeah. Who won the first ever Royal Rumble match in 1988? Um, was it Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Producer? Oh! There you go. <laughs> Damn, all right. We got to get tough right here, Keith. This is like softball season for you. This is nothing. All right. Who did Ric Flair defeat to win his first NWA World Championship? That would have been um, Dusty, 
No, Dusty Rhodes. Producer? No, no, sorry. sorry. What? Wait. Yeah, Dusty. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Ah, oh, good job, Keith. Well done. 1981, I think. Not bad. It was, in, it was at Memorial Hall in Kansas City. Kansas. All right. Question five. What was the original name of the stable that eventually became known as the New World Order? The Outsiders. Producer? Keith, you're killing it, man. This isn't right. God, I got, I got to ask tougher questions. Number six. Who did Sting face in his first ever match in WCW? First match in WCW? Oh, my goodness. Because he would have been established. That is a good question. Hold on. Um... Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking that would have been when he came over from the UWF. Uh, could, I'm, I'm going to guess Eddie Gilbert, but I'm probably wrong. Producer. Oh, Ric Flair? Oh. Yeah, that's fact, because I know all about the clash of the champions with Ric Flair. But that could not have possibly been Sting's first match in WCW because he came over when Bill Watts sold the company. But anyway, okay. Well, well, let's think about it this way, Keith. It could be a bit of a trick question, right? Because he came over when it was still the NWA, right? And then That's true. it switched over to WCW, so Sting was already established. Right. And I think 1988, they were still calling it the NWA. But anyway, okay, good. Okay, All right. Next. So far, so good, though. Doing very well. This one's a little bit tough. Number seven. Who won the ever first ever WWE King of the Ring tournament? Harley Race. Producer? Ah, Morocco. Magnificent Morocco. The, the second one, right. Okay. Key thoughts on Don Morocco? I think he was great. I mean, that's a guy, you know, we're talking about Roman Reigns. Think about uh, if Mo Morocco at his prime in this era, the kind of matches he could have had with Roman Reigns, how evenly matched they would be. Like two bulls just kind of goring each other. Yeah. Huge Morocco guy. Sometimes yeah. I don't think he gets enough love, that's for sure. Oh, he definitely doesn't. I remember watching a match when he was Intercontinental Champion against Rocky Johnson in Madison Square Garden and I think it was a Broadway, like the time was ticking down. Rocky kept rallying, you know, he'd almost beat Morocco and then he had him beat and it was one, two, ding, 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 ding. And uh, it was just great. How great was wrestling back then, man? I was, I think I was there live for that one. I, I got to try to think of it. Question eight, who was the longest reigning WWE Divas champion? Divas champion. Divas champion was uh, I don't was was yeah was uh, Trish Stratus perhaps producer. Oh, uh, Nikki Bella. Keith is doing great though. These are a little tough. All right, question nine. Which tag team did the Dudley Boys defeat to win their first WWE Tag Team Championship? I'm guessing. This is a guess. 
Um, I'm going to say the Hardys. Producer. There you go. Nice job, man. All right. Final question, Keith. Who was the first wrestler to win the WWE Triple Crown? That's a WWE Championship, Intercontinental title, and Tag Team title. The first ever. Red Hart? You want to check that? Oh, Pedro, Pedro Morales! Morales. <laughs> you're right. Pedro Morales was the tag team champion with Bob Backlund. They that won is correct. Shea Stadium, sure right? And they had to immediately relinquish the titles. Now, that was, even though I got a bunch of them wrong, that was really fun. You did, you did excellent, and I thank you for, for, jo <laughs> for, for joining and being such a good sport. And, uh, Keith, I wanna, we're almost out of time. I really, as a wrestling fan, I want to say this before you go. I want to thank you for what you've done for the industry and what you've done for wrestling fans from all over the world. Um, in a society in itself where negativity is, is mainstream now, it seems to be the flavor, you come on whenever you're on these documentaries, whenever you're on these shows, you always bring a positive nature. And um, thank you for making a difference for fans like myself. And thank you for what you're doing. And I really appreciate this forum. And I think we're both in the same category. We're both, you know, when you're talking about the wrestling you watched as a kid and we're around the same age, you know, there's love there behind that. And I think, you know, that just, it, you know, it emanates from you. And I think that's why the show is so much fun. Well, Keith, I, those are very kind words. And I thank you for that. I'm humbled by your words. Keith, I have to ask you this one final question. I am putting you on the spot. We talked about my first wife and what I did, my wedding. Did How often did wrestling interfere with your romantic life? Um, it still does. <laughs> you know, for a while, there was a... Uh... There, there was a, um, a bar in Brooklyn called DDT. They've since uh, relocated to Las Vegas. They're reopening uh, early in 2024. And um, if I was having a first date with someone, I would usually just tell them, come meet me at DDT. So the attitude was, well, if they're running late or they don't show up, then I can just watch wrestling. Unfortunately, sometimes they would show up, and I was so immersed in the wrestling, I prioritized that over the first date. So <laughs> I would say that, uh, that, you know, wrestling seems to overshadow everything. Was, was there a point where a girl would go up to you and be like, oh, hi, Keith, are you Keith? And were you like, no, I'm not, but thank you. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> but there was one time when a woman met me there, and um, she, you know, so we were hanging out and there was a, a, a the, and the main event came on as she was leaving. So I kissed her goodbye and she was walking out the door and um, I said, oh, this is the main event. I'm like, oh, good. Thank God she left. And I got a text from her. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> 
Keith, I want to thank you again. Um, I'm wishing you happy holidays. And again, happy you're holidays an icon. To you. God bless. Okay. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. The great Keith Elliott Greenberg, everyone. Man, I love that guy. All right, guys, I want to thank you for joining us thir this Thursday. He's a fantastic guest. What an icon. Um, we'll catch you guys next Thursday before the holiday. I think we have Justin Credible in and possibly the return of Jimmy Farrow, which I think will be happening. Um, that's for sure. Uh, I want to give a little roll call before we go. Again, thank you all, but I'm going to go from the top because I love every one of you. Jason Morning, thank you. Benny Scala, your loyalty to this show and the channel is incredible. Jason, thank you. Maria Davis, God bless you. R.J. Hudson, love you. Phil, you're the man. Who else we got here? Isban, always aboard. Thank you, sir, for the support you give all the time. Steve, God bless. My former military partner back in Louisiana. My friend, always good to see you on the show. Uh, let me see who else is here. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Matthew Holland, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Hope all is well. B40, you're always here, my friend. Good. Thank you, as always. Uh, ba -ba -ba. ESO, always controlling the show. I know I pick on ESO all the time, but he's he's one of the best people I've ever met in my life. He's a he's a good, honest human being who does nothing but support everybody. So if you're lucky enough to be friends or know ESO, Bruce, um, he's just an incredible human being. Um, let me see what else we got here before we go. Sorry, guys. Uh, I think that could be it if I missed anybody. I'm sorry. I've been known to do that. Well, anyway, we'll see you next Thursday. Again, possibility I'm going to have a Sunday show with Steve Kern in studio. If it does happen, I will tell you people, if you remember Steve Kern was supposed to be on before, and he kind of got pissed off at me. So this will be addressed on Sunday. I can guarantee you that, so that is a much swatch. And I got to tell everybody out there, um, Keith Elliott Greenberg, this guy, if you love pro wrestling, is a treasure. And what he has done for the industry and for fans like all of us, because we're all fans, um, we should be happy that this man has taken time out of his life uh, for his love of wrestling and what gifts he's given all of us. Um, he's he's incredible. So it was an honor to have him on the show, and I'm so glad he took the time out. Um, and he did great. Jay Will, I don't think you said your name. Love you, brother. Um, Jay Will, Steve Kern, a Christmas gift for you. Yeah, that's right, on a silver platter. And trust me, it will be on a silver platter. It may not be a long interview, guys, so you may want to tune in right away. Um, again, back to Keith. The guy's just an incredible human being, and I, I think when people say positive brings positivity brings positive results, that guy is the perfect example.
But anyway, I love you guys all. I love every one of you, your loyalty to the channel and to Monty and the Pharaoh and all these other wonderful shows we have on are, you know, I'm, I'm humbled. And I'm glad that I get to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to each of you on next Thursday. Love you all. See ya.